You got to change your habits or change your goals. Muay Thai is 50% running and 30% laundry. Keep working on your game. Keep innovating. I'm always winning. What is your pro tip? Hello and welcome to another episode of Pro Tip Conversations. Um, excited to have with us today, uh, Kumar Iramili. Um, Kumar is the Chief Technology Officer at Acto. In addition to being a te technologist and an entrepreneur, Kumar is also a venture capitalist and more importantly, for the sake of this podcast, an avid cricketer. Uh, <laughs> um, Kumar is the founding partner at Cayman Ventures uh, and he's also been a core member of Victoria Park Cricket Club's Super 9 team for many years. Uh, today, we're going to chat with Kumar about his uh, journey as an athlete, as, as well as uh, his entrepreneurial investment journey. Um, so without further ado, welcome, Kumar. Thanks, Anish. Hello, Pro Tip listeners. Glad to be on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, thanks, thanks for uh, accepting the invite. I know you're a busy guy with a lot of things going on. Um, and obviously, you know, we kind of go way back. Uh, I, I played uh, under 19 Canada cricket with your brother, Anand, and, uh, you know, shout out to Anand. <laughs> Uh, talent, yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, known you for a long time. And uh, yeah, so first of all, thanks. Thanks for jumping on. And um, so why don't we get started at the root of everything? How did you get started in cricket? Yeah, I mean, look, like every other Indian, I guess it's, it is in our blood. It is a religion for us. It's in our DNA. Uh, I was born in Hyderabad in India, uh, grew up there and of course, grew up playing cricket on the streets with my cousins, my family, my friends, um, and on the rooftops, roads, wherever possible, like after, before final exams with the examination pads and like a aluminum foil ro rolled up <laughs> the same cricket stories that I'm sure a lot of the even current Indian cricketers grew up with the yeah. same, same thing. And then, uh, you know, my dad thought, okay, you know what, let's give this guy a shot. And he put me in a cricket coaching academy when I was probably six. And that was run by uh, Mr. Muhammad Azruddin uh, himself. Wow. So um, that's where my passion for cricket grew. And uh, yeah, man, the rest is history. Uh, and then uh, following that, my dad, uh, thanks to him, uh, he, by the way, never held a bat in his life. Only okay. was always an avid cricket supporter. Yeah. Took me to the 1996 World Cup match, the first World Cup match in Hyderabad. That was West Indies versus Zimbabwe. Amazing. I saw heat streak gunning in, bowling yeah. around Lara full pace, and Lara scored, I think, 40 yard or 50 in that game. Yeah. Just the ambiance in the stadium, the passion for cricket. Man, what else do you need, right? Like, yeah. that's what got me going. And that's the start. I guess that's the birth of uh, cricket, uh, my cricket journey and my cricket passion. So, what age, I guess, did you move to Canada? And so, how long were you in that academy with uh, Azur and? Yeah, so uh, funny enough, it wasn't long. Like I was only part of that coaching academy maybe for about three or four years. After that, we, uh, in fact, some of my years, I grew up in Russia, in Moscow. Okay. So moved to Russia and Moscow for about uh, four to five years. And then from there, went back to India just for uh, an year because my dad got the PR to Canada. Sure. And I was in kind of like a crack uh, where... I didn't go to school during that year, nor did I uh, move to Canada yet. So I was in India for about like eight months to a an year. Yeah. And during that period, when I went back from Russia, I only played cricket. I didn't okay. study. I didn't do anything. <laughs> I only played cricket and I did computers. Okay. So it kind of worked out that yeah. <laughs> now I'm an entrepreneur and a CTO. Yeah. I play cricket for hobby and passion and invest in it. So 
Awesome. Kind of worked out that way. So that that year was just only cricket and tech. You got a fast track in a year's <laughs> worth of uh, experience, right? Like yes. that most people don't get over like three, four years, right? So, um, right. yeah. So I guess, did you play other sports as well growing up or was I did. the main I one? I did. Uh, thankfully, uh, in our family, there is a bit of like racket sports in the blood. So mm-hmm. I played badminton as well as squash. Okay. At a pretty high level, competitive level. Um, so I played national squash at the university level, representing Waterloo. Uh, and then I played uh, national badminton as well, representing Waterloo. So both uh, played at a pretty high level. Cool. Um, and you said, so when you moved to Canada, did you immediately, you know, find a club, uh, start playing right away? Or was it more focused on academics and, you know, getting into that space? Um, yeah, no, you know, when we moved to Canada, the first thing was, you know, there's a phys ed in the high school. Yeah. Right? So we saw every other sport but cricket. Exactly. I yeah. thought, you know what, there's a lot of South Asians in Canada. A lot of my friends are passionate about cricket. They watch, we watched like the World Cups together. I thought, why, are, why aren't we playing cricket together? So kind of started cricket in high school at Stephen Leacock that way. Uh, work with one of the teachers who was, of course, uh, again, from South Asian community. And he had passion to organize the team together. So started practicing that way, found a ground in McNichol right. and the birth of, <laughs> that was the birth of like uh, Victoria Park cricket, especially in the, in the, in the last couple of decades. Yeah. And so ran into VP through McNichol uh, yeah. uh, cricket ground. And that was the start. Yeah. I guess that was the start of uh, a know, long relationship. <laughs> long relationship. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's funny because when I moved to Canada in 99 for the first three years, I didn't even know cricket existed in Canada. I'd only seen it that, oh, Canada's, you know, Bagai and all these guys are playing. I'd see it in the back of the Toronto Star uh, clippings, like a little small article right. about cricket. Um, but then, yeah, it was kind of similar where it was at my school that somebody uh, organized a tape, tape ball thing and got into it, right? Um, uh, I guess, who, who were your sporting heroes growing up? I mean, it's, I guess, obvious and redundant to say the one in your wall on the background <laughs> there. <laughs> That's, I guess, uh, it's a given for every Indian. So yeah. Mr. Sachin Tendulkar, just uh, his class in terms of how well he conducted himself, his ethics, uh, and of course, his talent, sheer talent and grit towards the sport uh, motivated me a lot growing up. Uh, also, growing up, uh, I had like other sporting idols as well, like other than cricket. Mm-hmm. Uh, Federer uh, was massive. Yeah. Uh, just in humility and humbleness, even at the top, that, that yeah. was huge. Um, and I think that is essential for everyone to learn uh, as an athlete because you always, it's cyclical. You go up, you come down, and there are times where, but when you're up and you're humble, that's the best thing. Uh, so, yeah, they were. I would say Federer and like Sachin probably growing up, but then during the peak of my career, of course, Mr. Mahindra Singh Dhoni, the way he led India and the way he just is as a person, um, his humility and his humbleness and his leadership on the ground, uh, the way he conducts himself and the team that was very truly inspirational. And Mm -hmm. during my entrepreneurship journey and as well as my cricketing journey, I used his, um, ethos his thesis into my personal life as well that led a lot of growth on my side i would Amazing. say yeah. um and then i guess you know how has cricket impacted your life a lot man the i always say this to my kids and as well as my family and to my closest friends and people that love listening to me 
I always tell them that cricket has taught me how to lose. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't realize that when you play sports, it's humbling. Mm -hmm. There's always someone better than you. There's always, uh, you know, someone who's going to have a better day than you. Um, and you need to, and it teaches you a lot, how to take a loss. You need to come back from it. There's another day you come back and then you you get better, you fight harder, you learn from your experience. And I guess that's one of the key le uh, lessons for me through cricket. Yeah. And second is being part of a team. Yeah. Look, I played squash, badminton, they're individual sports. Mm -hmm. um, but teamwork is everything, right? Cricket truly, you know, Sachin, despite all the, uh, you know, weight that he had on his shoulders, still needed the Dravids, the Lakshmans and Gangulis and everyone else around him. So I think that those are the two big lessons that, you know, just how to take a loss and how to be part of a team. That was, that was, that was very important. Awesome. So I guess let's uh, fast track your journey a little bit. So you found Victoria Park Cricket Club, started playing there and, and you said that was around the high school time, right? So yes. um, now you're, uh, you know, go, graduating high school, going to Waterloo mm -hmm. and everything. And I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you were in a co-op program at Waterloo as well. Was, so, yes. which means this was a choice I had to make as well, right? Which is, do I go to Waterloo and join a co-op program and give up cricket? Or do I continue, you know, playing cricket? How did you come to that point, uh, choice, right? Like, what was the focus uh, or what was the decision-making process there for you? Yeah, great question. I was in Waterloo and I did take the co-op program. But somehow I found a way to keep cricket in my life. Especially there were terms, co-op terms in Waterloo where... We started indoor cricket in their pack gym. Nice. So it's, it's their uh, gymnasium there. So indoor cricket, I, for me, cricket was just so much of a passion that it didn't have to be, you know, hardball, gear up, go out and the weather. all. So it wasn't like that. Even if it's stick cricket and even if it's book cricket, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy and content that my yeah. mind is occupied with the sport itself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so found a way to play cricket indoors through tape ball and it was an incredible ecosystem that we built in Waterloo for tape yeah. ball. Uh, and of course, because of all the, you know, the Indians, the Pakistanis, the Sri Lankans, the West Indians, everyone coming to Waterloo, there was a thriving cricketing community. And, you know, we played cricket during the winter there, then translated it into, uh, college cricket and as well as university cricket in the summers. Yeah, that's how we kept busy. And while I was in Toronto, if I was doing co-op, then I would just be practicing with my uh, Victoria Park yeah. boys here, right? So always cricket was part of the life, and in one capacity or another. Yeah, man, we always made. I had to make time. Like there was no, yeah. and family knew that taking cricket out was not a choice, not an option. <laughs> was not an option. So it always had to be there. Yeah, it's it's uh, funny. I think uh, because you made that choice, maybe Canada under nineteen lost out on a good prospect. But oh, uh, at the same time, uh, you know, obviously you've had a ton of success in, uh, in your entrepreneurship journey, which we'll go into now. Yes. Um, so especially in the early, you know, I, I'm assuming you were around early 2000s was when you were in university or early to mid 2000s, right? So, um, you know, cricket as a viable career in Canada wasn't necessarily um, there for everybody, right? Uh, yeah. Maybe a select few could have gotten something out of the game. Um, so... Was that a driving factor for you to decide that, okay, you know what, I am going to focus on, you know, my this tech, technology side of things and, and you know, building my, my startup and uh, all those aspects? Or were you still able to find enough time? Um, to, I was, yeah, good question. I was still able to find enough time. If I was to pursue both, I would have been able to do that. 
I think for me, a larger driving factor behind was um, growing up as a kid, my aim was always to create a larger impact in life mm-hmm. through whether that be technology, whether that be through cricket, whether that whatever the medium is, right? So I thought personally, coming to Canada, if I was to land a larger impact, uh, especially with like a lot of people changing their lives, I thought uh, being a tech, being in tech and probably eventually becoming an entrepreneur and having my own company would probably be the best avenue. That what, that's what led me to pursuing yeah. yeah, Waterloo and like, you know, just pursuing uh, uh, computer science. And that, that, that was like more of the driving factor. But if I had really wanted to, I could have balanced cricket as well. And also maybe somewhere in my mind, like uh, I never knew or I never thought I was, um, you know, that much of a talent or that good uh, to really just, you know, outshine in cricket. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I guess like a combination of things. But my larger driving force was how do I create the best impact and the most impact in, li- in life? And that was through tech and entrepreneurship. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it's pretty incredible that at that young age, you had that clarity, right? And I know I definitely didn't. I, I, I went to university, didn't even know what I wanted to do uh, when I went. So um, that's pretty amazing. Um, yeah. So tell us a bit about, you know, your entrepreneurship journey. Uh, obviously, Acto is your uh, second uh, venture, uh, third, yeah. yes. third venture. Third venture right? yeah. So, uh, yeah. Tell us how you got started um, and, yeah, take it away. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, as I said, when I moved from Moscow back to India and I was there for a year and I was just only playing cricket and doing tech, I was uh, part of this internet like learning and tech course at that time. That was in 1995. And that was when Yahoo and like Google and all these were just coming, bursting onto the scene. The word internet was hype. Like it was the, it was the buzz around the world and Microsoft came up with a new version of windows. Yeah. It was like, Oh, GUI to like a dark based yeah. operating system. It was the thing that was the, that was kind of like the right. thing in that world at that time. And what, what really inspired me was how it could serve the needs of people on a day to day, how machines were just like, you know, serving, um, uh, people at that time. And that was my driving force behind, okay, I want to do something in tech. Then uh, somehow, I mean, I had a strong math background, so good logic. Uh, So that led me to developing small programs, even in my day-to-day life. For example, if I was to play a game, I would tell my parents that let me just develop the game and I'd just play it. (laughs) So I would write like simple, like um, basic uh, games, um, math-based, physics-based. And then I would write like, you know, the games myself. And then my parents, of course, wouldn't have an objection playing those games if I wrote them, right? So <laughs> that's how I started my just tech career. And then I wanted to pursue that. And, uh, you know, in 96, then my dad bought me my first PC, allowed me to pursue like more and more, learn more of the tech. And then, uh, yeah, then went to Waterloo, came here, did well in ComSci in my high school as well, went to Waterloo, pursued that. When I... My, my true pivotal point was when I worked for RIM. I worked for RIM in the BlackBerry monitoring services team. Mm-hmm. That team was an acquisition. At that time, RIM was on the high, mm-hmm. uh, and which is BlackBerry now. Yeah. So RIM acquired this small company, and I was reporting directly to the CEO of that company. Interesting. Okay. And 
he was exiting at that point. It was a $44 million acquisition. Uh, and then he was exiting and he was my inspiration to become an entrepreneur and saying, okay, how you can really create an impact, right? Through your tech. And uh, also on the personal side, I asked him, okay, Charles, what's your, what's your goal after this, right? You're getting a decent exit. And this was in 99. Uh, sorry, it was in um, 2009, sorry, mm -hmm. 2009. And he said, I'm becoming a part-time chopper pilot. So he's taking okay. like <laughs> helicopter lessons and he's going to do, he's going to build a, a startup around air taxiing. So people that can okay. afford a helicopter ride from Toronto to Montreal and didn't have the time to like, you know, uh, either fly Try or like, yeah. yeah, or travel or whatever. Like he would just do like some sort of a air taxi. Yeah, but anyways, yeah. I don't know if that panned out or not. Yeah. But just the fact that he had the now liberty to make personal choices and pursue personal dreams that would motivate him on the personal side, but also, uh, you know, have the capital and the financial freedom and also have like, you know, created something in terms of legacy, mm -hmm. all three kind of converged. And that led me to start thinking of a, being about my own entrepreneur. And so 2009, I started my first company called Company ID. Uh, found co-founded this with a fellow gentleman from uh, Jordan named Rod Al-Khatib. And we were passionate about creating something for companies to uh, put up their, like, you know, what their offerings or what their services were kind of like a LinkedIn before like LinkedIn sure. companies existed. Yeah. Um, so pivoted into writing and an, uh, patentable algorithm, then eventually ended up selling that uh, to, nice. uh, yeah. So to an acquirer. And then while that happened, lot, a lot of learnings, <laughs> you know, a lot of uh, uh, pivots and then started my second company called Paper Dodo along with one of my friends that I played squash with, Shane Songti. Lots of learnings there as well, partnered with a company called Geotab and then we raised a round of funding and then ended up exiting my shares there to start Acto in 2015. Cool. And then, uh, so two, I would say successful exits with a lot of learnings and then with Acto, the largest one yet, uh, the largest team. And, uh, you know, yeah, everything, everything, the rest is history. Awesome. Um, and I guess what were the learnings that you had in your, the first two, um, startups that you were then able to bring to Acto? Cause as you mentioned, Acto is obviously the largest team. It's had a, a ton of growth over the years. Um, you know, what were you able to apply? Uh, yeah, man, uh, you know, I'll tell you this and you know, this might not, the statement might not sit very humbly, but uh, entrepreneurs are just a different breed. I would always, I would think that, oh, you know, anyone can be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. I don't think so. I think someone, some, some of the people are just cut out to be mm -hmm. entrepreneurs. And when I say entrepreneur, I'm not talking about just entrepreneurs uh, that start companies and then eventually give up or fail. I'm talking about entrepreneurs that fail but then stand again and then fight, sustain, pivot, take a blow in the gut and then come back and stand again. So it's like a boxing match, right? Mm -hmm. There are so many rounds that you have to go before you could just feel like, okay, you know what? I feel like I've done it, right? So that's what the big learning was. And same thing, you know, that's why I say cricket taught me how to take a loss, right? It's the same thing that carried over in my, in my uh, entrepreneurship and my you know, uh, career. You have to be able to pivot. You have to be able to re-strategize. You have to be able to learn that, okay, and accept that I'm, I messed up. Okay, so I, what now? What do I do now, right? So how do you come back from it? 
And that's what true entrepreneurship is. Um, if the road is smooth and like there's no hurdles, everybody would be going to drive on it. Everyone's going to yeah. walk on it. Everyone's going to run on it, right? Yeah. But that's the biggest learning. And that was the biggest, you know, humbling factor that I learned from my two previous companies and, uh, you know, came to terms with it. You're not going to make all correct decisions. You're not going to choose all correct partners. You don't, you know, there's always something or the other that's going to go wrong. But what do you do about it? Right. How do you come back from it? How do you go to another investor? Uh, one investor is going to shit on you. How yeah. are you going to go to another investor like and pitch your same idea? So that's that's what entrepreneurship is, and that that's what led to kind of like a success in my in my third company. Cool. Yeah, it's it's so funny you're talking about you know taking blows, and it seems like when you're playing cricket or when you're batting or even in the innings in a fifty over match in cricket, you have those highs and lows where sometimes you have to give your respect to the bowler and like let him you know let him be on the high end and just stay there. Staying in the game is more important than winning immediately, right? Like if you're exactly. in there long enough. Same thing with Tony says. If I if I don't blink at the very till the very end, um, I know that I'll out out uh, outdo the other person because I'm there still, right? So, yeah, uh, it, it's in, incredible how you can draw these parallels um, and and learn so much from sport and apply in both directions, right? Absolutely. Um, uh, that's you. That was that was going to be my next question: is what you learned from sports to and that you can apply in entrepreneurship. Um, and vice versa. Uh, I guess w- one other question I have is how do you balance now, even now, I know last year you were playing super nine, which is the highest division in Canada. Um, how do you balance being a you know founder at a high growth startup with, uh, you know, playing competitive cricket on the weekends and you also have a family and everything else too. So, yeah. um, I mean, stating the obvious time management prioritization. Absolutely. Right. One of the things that sometimes people, tend to overlook is pick and choosing battles. Yeah. You have to be able to really, okay, is this a hill that I'm going to die on? Like you got to really pick and choose your battles, whether that's in your personal life, whether that's on uh, your you know work life, there's a give, like you have to always think about like the trade-offs, right? Uh, sometimes people overlook that. And then also surrounding yourself with competent people, man. Like, like honestly, I wouldn't be able to find success in my, work and my company if i i don't have competent skilled and passionate and and culturally driven driven people on uh, my company side and similarly on my personal side i want friends you know uh people that are supportive people that are you know okay with me making mistakes but you know see at the end light at the end of the tunnel like what what are we trying to do here so that's important on both sides i think and that's another i would say kind of like a lesson and I would like to share with people. So don't overlook the fact that you always need people surrounding you that are like looking to lift you up and not always trying to put you down. Right. So I think those were some things that, 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 that there are, that there, these are the things that helped me like really balance my work, my cricket, my um, investments, my uh, ventures. But I, I just also like not overstating and not overlooking the fact that I have a great companion in my wife my kids are brilliant like very understanding there are times where i'd had to travel for work and i would not see them for weeks but my wife is super supportive and happy and like you know just you know thrilled to for me to do and pursue what i have to and it's a reciprocation i do the same with her as she pursues her Uh, she's a fashion designer as well as she works for a fintech company so she has a couple of uh, passion projects of her own 
And uh, when she does that, then I have to, you know, reciprocate and, and, and yeah. do the same with the family. So that's, these are a few things that really like help me uh, balance my cricket, my, my work and my investments. Awesome. Yeah. So I guess speaking about your investments, you know, t tell us about the vision behind uh, Cayman Ventures. Mm -hmm. Again, going back to my story, when I was a kid, Microsoft was a thing and that was a company to really, Apple wasn't really there yet. Um, so I thought, you know what, when I grow up, I'm going to have a company called KSOF. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what happens, like I said, I'll have a software company called KSOF, right? And I even used to, funny enough, I, I used to have these white t-shirts and I used to write like just KSOF. KSOF logo on it and just be like, as if it was my, this was me uh, when I was a kid. And I think that was in grade six or seven or whatever that was. Right? So that was always a dream is to have like something, um, of uh, my own that I uh, like, you know, embodied. And so that's what, that was like the inception of the idea of like something with K. And then uh, 2018, after my second exit and I was financially a bit fluid. Um, and also with Acto, we raised our series A, got like some liquidity there. Then I'd start, okay, it's time for me to set up something of my personal brand. And um, I started the, brand called Cayman and it was an umbrella corp under Cayman. There's a bunch of subsidiaries. And so Cayman ventures is my passion for investing back into startups. So happy to share that now I have about, uh, about 26 companies in my portfolio there nice. uh, that I've invested in. And then uh, through Cayman ventures, I'm also an LP in four major Canadian funds as an investor. Uh, I wanted to diversify my investments. So then Cayman created like Cayman uh, advisory. So where I would pick and choose uh, in a select few companies where I'm an advisor for. And then I created Cayman cricket for all my cricket investments. So um, I was really looking for giving back to cricket capital wise and just motivating some of the cricketers around the world. Uh, looking at different cricketing products, right from T10 leagues to T20 leagues to mm -hmm. even potentially like IPL and stuff. And then Fairbreak, stumble, I stumbled upon Fairbreak, fell in my lap. And uh, I really was moved and driven by the founder's vision, uh, Sean Martin, his vision on creating gender equality with the sport and as well as geo equality with the sport, where putting spotlight on associate countries along with the test playing nations and having them play the competition at the same parity level. Uh, especially playing cricket in Canada, I know what it's like yeah. being an associate nation and not getting the same spotlight as your test playing nations. So yeah. I was really moved and touched by Fairbreak's ethos and the, the mission by what they were driven. So then created uh, the Cayman Falcons brand through Fairbreak and uh, invested in them. And now I'm the proud owner of Cayman Falcons, which is a women's cricket international team franchise, uh, part of Fairbreak League. And, uh, you know, happy to share that some of the top cricketers in the women cricketers in the world are yeah. part of the Cayman Falcons franchise. Awesome. Um, and I, I know there was a tournament in, was it in Hong Kong where, yes. um, the first, uh, yeah, the team the competed? First edition, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. The first edition for Fairbreak happened in Dubai in the Sheikh Zayed stadium, uh, right after the T20 world cup that happened in 2020, oh, wow. okay. yeah, 2021. And then in 2022 Fairbreak happened the first edition. And then the second edition of Fairbreak happened in Hong Kong. And both the editions, Cayman Falcons came to finals and we were runners up. Okay. Again, okay. 
you know, another yeah. another opportunity to take a loss and yeah. learn from it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was super proud of my team and just, you know, super thrilled to be part of this whole uh, women cricketing franchise. So uh, I guess what, what did you, what's, what's different now that you're, I guess uh, you own this team versus when you were playing, yeah. you know, what, what are, what's during the game, what's your mindset like when, <laughs> when the game is going on and yeah, uh, look somewhere, somewhere, like maybe there's a 2% or 3%. There's always that itch that you just want to <laughs> jump on the field and like also want to play. But uh, I guess uh, one of the, 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 the key differences is um, you rely again, people, right? Like you rely on the, the staff, the coaching staff, the management staff, the team, the skipper, you rely on them to make all the effective decisions and you learn from it. You learn how they're so good at their job. See, they're so good at what they do. Our team skipper is Susie Bates. I mean, she's led uh, so many franchises in the world. Mm -hmm. She's led New Zealand for, um, she, I think she's probably the most capped player, if not like the second most capped player in New Zealand. Um, so overall, like just watching these international stars and learning from them, that was a big like learning for me um, as a team owner. And then just, you know, at an international level, being a team owner and what it's like to, you know, have ICC, the PMOA, ICC, like uh, the anti-fraud, anti-money laundering, yeah. like just the overall, the whole system. Uh, system. Yeah. There was a lot of learning there. Uh, you know, how you cannot be uh, interacting with the team during the matches, before the matches, after the matches. Um, yeah, all of that was new, man. All of that was learning. And then just, man, you know, my I was telling my dad, uh, being in Sheikh Zayed Stadium in the audience stand mm -hmm. when I was watching that versus like being an owner and sitting in, I was in the Royal Box where the shake you would go and sit. So I was in the yeah. Royal Box as a team owner watching. It was a, it was a proud moment. I was yeah, saying. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's incredible. And then, so what's next, I guess, for Cayman Falcons? What tournaments are on the horizon? Yeah, so some really exciting things coming up. Um, so fair break, um, we're hoping that um, eventually the vision of the founder was Similar to Grand Slam, there are four major cricketing events for fair break throughout the world. So uh, we're hoping within the next five years, we get to that vision. And so Falcons will be proudly part of all editions uh, there. And uh, there are some behind the scenes, we're working on some pretty exciting stuff, uh, which I cannot talk about or announce right now, but please stay tuned. Follow the Cayman Falcons Insta handle and you will hopefully uh you know soon find out some exciting new updates coming up amazing um and then uh i guess in terms of your investment decisions so you know whether it's buying or owning the cayman falcons or your other ventures you mentioned 20 odd portfolio companies that you have you know what are some of your considerations when you make these decisions um are they investments at the heart or you know is there a lot of uh you know uh number crunching and things that happen along the way yeah yeah a bit of both I think what 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 I lead with first is values, um, mm -hmm. and that's how I was raised. That's how I grew up. That's how I pursued my passion in entrepreneurship, and that's what I look for in uh, in entrepreneurs as well. Like I said, entrepreneurship is not cut out for everyone. 
you know, everyone can start an idea and, you know, throw money at it and like pursue it. But there are a few that sustain and like really know how to scale that. So uh, I, what I look for in some of these founders and entrepreneurs when I'm backing them is, do you have what it takes to be an mm. entrepreneur, right? Um, look, by the way, man, like you never, again, just learning from the experiences, there were companies that failed in my investments as well, right? Like you, it's not like all of them are going to yeah, succeed and all of them are going to be successful. So what I look for is the founder's mindset, how they are thinking about the problem that they're solving, uh, or how are they thinking about the market that they're in, and then uh, just the a thesis around their startup, like what is driving, what is the driving force behind their idea, and uh, on the number crunching side, looking at the TAM that they're addressing, the total addressable market, uh, their revenue models, how are they thinking about like you know uh, monetizing the idea. And lastly, how are they thinking about creating an impact, right? Like what kind of impact are they looking to creating uh, through their like company? So these are some of the things that I'm, I'm looking at. And also from a holistic view, I do look at the industry that they're part of. So my focus lately has been in deep tech uh, and, you know, your gen AI is like your deep like AI models. Mm-hmm. That's been my focus. And I've been focused heavily in clean tech, agro tech, mining so there were like some of the rudimentary, more f- foundational industries that I've been looking at. So uh, yeah, my, my investments have been di- diversified in all these uh, industries, but more in terms of answering your question succinctly, it's more around just the values and what drives sure. these founders sure. uh, and looking at the overlap with how Cayman thesis is, right? Yeah. And um, I guess, are you generally looking at early stage ventures or is it, uh, you know, um, any yeah, there were a few investments. Most of my investments are early stage. Uh, and the check sizes I would write are probably anywhere from 50,000 to half a million. Okay. Right. So they vary between that. And then um, in terms of some companies that I was, I'm part of has been a bit later stage. Um, but that's very few. So most of my investments have been in early stages where it's either pre-seed or seed rounds. Got it. That's awesome. Well, first of all, thank you for walking us through this entire journey. Uh, we have one more round here, which is the rapid fire round. Yeah, no wrong good. answers. You know, first thought that comes to your mind. Um, so favorite cricketer? Mine is Singhoni. Favorite cricket brand? Seven. Okay. <laughs> uh, I know you're an all-rounder, so batting or bowling? Oof. Uh, whatever it, the team needs to win. <laughs> um any favorite entrepreneurs or ones you look up to? Yeah, Elon Musk. Nice. Um, best book uh, you've read, or I'm an audio book listener, so listen to in, in 2023. There is a, a book that I highly recommend all entrepreneurs to read called Traction. Okay. And um, it changes the way you think about entrepreneurship and cha- changes the way how you think about uh, your business and how you just want to grow. So Traction is one of the books that... I'll highly recommend. Awesome. Uh, any pro tip for cricketers? Good question. Um, learn always, always look to improve, always look to uh, cultivate your skill and do what the team needs in the role that you're assigned. Um, execute the role. like. I think it comes down to all the learning comes down to how, how well you can execute and don't give any excuses. So the one thing, one thing that I've seen in uh, a lot of the associate cricket is easy to fall back on uh, excuses. 
don't execute like learn to execute and again if you can't there's another day you got to come back and like execute again right so that would be my tip yeah. uh to cricketers and be yeah, passionate I mean, about it man if you're passionate about it then i think it'll it'll work out i wouldn't have expected anything different from you on that one because i've seen many times when you've come into bat you know way lower than you should be but then <laughs> won the game for the team just uh you know off the off the back of being in there right so uh yeah i wouldn't have expected anything different um Appreciate pro it. tip for entrepreneurs Hmm. Good, good one. Um, there are so many. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Feel free to list multiple. <laughs> yeah, man. For entrepreneurs, I think the the one that got to me was growth is cyclical. Everything that grows has a glass ceiling. And this is mm. what actually us as founders, we we're learning. Every stage has uh, a growth limit mm. and you have to be able to pivot at that state. When you, when, you, when you reach the ceiling, you have to learn that, okay, you've reached the ceiling and you have to learn to pivot from uh, where, when you reach something to, in order for you to grow more. The next step. So the next step. So everything, like right from the early traction to customer, like early adopters saying, this is amazing. That has a ceiling where they, like you'll only find a few early adopters that are right. going to bear with, you know, your uh, software bugging out or like your hardware not working. Then from there on, you move on to like early customers, which have a ceiling. From there, you move on to like, you know, your first 10 million ARR, then you mm -hmm. 50 million ARR, 100 million ARR. At any given milestone, there is a ceiling, an upper echelon. That so my one feedback to entrepreneurs would be learn when or like identify when that ceiling has reached, and what do you what do you do now, right? So you have to learn that, and that's what pivots are. Those are what like you know when you say pivot strategy or whatever go to market strategy or like your product uh, mm -hmm. roadmap anything, right? So that's what it is. It's like when you learn that okay, I've reached my limit, I've reached my threshold. What do I do now? So I would highly encourage entrepreneurs to cultivate that skill set and never give up, man. Never effing give up. Like you have, you're an entrepreneur because you're a different breed. You're a mutant. You're like yeah. a different breed. <laughs> so then don't give up, like come back, fight harder. Um, yeah. There's always another day, always another person, always another financier, always another uh, backer. Like there are always people that are going to support you. Right. Yeah. So never give up. That would be my like life lesson to entrepreneurs. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Kumar, for your time. Uh, again, I know you're a busy guy. Uh, this was an incredible uh, interview where you know I got to learn a ton. Um, I'm sure the listeners will as well. Um, anything you want to add before uh, we sign off? You know, whether it's about you know Cayman Acto, um, anything we should know. Yeah, Anish, thank you so much, man, for having me on this podcast. First of all, I respect I, the respect is mutual. I respect everything that you have done in cricket in Canada and everything that you have done, like even with Pro Tip and what you're planning to do with this. Thank I you. wish you the best and happy to help you and you know in whatever form I could. With respect to K Man and Acto, look, I'm always going to be passionate about cricket. I'm always going to be passionate about. Uh, equality, gender equality, and geo equality. And with ACTO, we're looking to change lives through tech in the life sciences industry. So we're always going to be passionate about that. Um, yeah, I just want to be a good 
um, you know, leader, good father, good entrepreneur, good, uh, you know, friend to, you know, guys like you. And hopefully as I share my stories, you know, people can learn not to make those same mistakes that we did yeah. <laughs> or make the mistakes, but also like, you know, move on from them. So yeah. uh, that's what, that's the intent. And uh, yeah, thank you for, for the opportunity to share my piece. Absolutely. Yeah. Anytime. And if, if uh, you're welcome back anytime as well. <laughs> Appreciate that. So, thanks a lot.